What a great testimony, eh? Isn't that good to, good to hear? Hey, do you know, um, I just want to say before I start preaching that um, Jesus will never remind you of your past, your failure, your sin, or whatever. Jesus doesn't do that because he's dealt with it on the cross for us. And it's only the enemy that will try and remind you of that. So take that to heart. And if that happens to you this week, you know what to do, don't you? Great. Well, this morning we're looking at uh, part two of um, our discipleship series. Um, So if you want to turn to Ephesians in chapter four, we'll be looking at uh, a very um, well-known passage from there. We're looking this morning at uh, maturing in Christ as disciples. And so he's asked me because I'm old. No, that's not true. <clears throat> maturing in Christ as disciples. Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard or stature of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Just have a little change of glasses here now. Maturity, you know, in Christ doesn't necessarily happen with age. Maturing in Jesus doesn't mean that you've got to get wrinkles and hair loss and hearing aids and false teeth and glasses and the rest of it. But the Apostle Paul here gives us an expectation to those who are in Christ that we will be growing. Verse 15 says, growing up in every way, more and more like Jesus. I'm hungry to mature in Christ and I'm glad that came out in our worship today. I want to know more um, about Jesus. I still feel like a newbie as a follower of Jesus. There's so much more, isn't there, for us to experience and explore in our walk with Jesus. We will always be children of God, hopefully with a childlike faith, and we'll keep that innocence and wonder as children do. But Jesus' plan is ultimately to bring sons and daughters to glory. That's in Hebrews chapter 2. So he's bringing us, his purpose is to bring us to glory. So this morning we will look at five specific ministry gifts and offices that Jesus has given his church. These help us to be equipped 
and grow as his disciples. They're from verse 11 in what we read there, and they're apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These gifts help each of us to mature, to be equipped, and grow as individuals and as a church. These people are a gift to us. These five ministry gifts are worthy, actually, of a mini-series. I'll try not to give you a mini-series this morning. Um, And these gifts actually do overlap with some of the ministry gifts in Romans 12, of serving, administration, generous giving, and mercy gifts. But these five ministry gifts are given to the leaders in the church, but they're also given to all of us as his disciples. Each follower of Jesus has ministry gifts. John Stott said, I love this, if you like alliteration, just listen to this. He said this, the traditional model of church is of a pyramid with a pastor perched precariously on a pinnacle like a pope in his own church with the laity, that's you and me, as arrayed beneath him in ranks of inferiority. I just love that, it's a beautiful quote, isn't it? Nor is the church like a bus with the pastor in the driving seat and the passengers sleeping peacefully behind him. No, we are all in the ministry of building up the church for the common good. That's Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12. So I want us to have a look at these ministry gifts. They're only going to be a thumbnail sketch. They're going to be brief. Um, But I think it's important for us to look at them because they do help us to mature. So, firstly, apostles. In our network of churches, apostles help plant and establish churches with New Testament biblical foundations. This is not a a programme, but it's done through relationship, establishing unique groups of believers because every church is unique. And they enable churches to function together. Apostles support elders, particularly being a father to them. Apostles are particularly concerned with doctrine and the application of doctrine. Apostles bring an understanding of the overall purposes of God. The letter of Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul demonstrates that to us. Apostles are often involved in reaching unreached people groups and missions work. Apostles in the New Testament were recognised for being close to Jesus or having been with Jesus. And all of the apostles in the New Testament witnessed miracles in the course of their ministry. In fact, uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians says, I gave you proof that I am an apostle, for I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. So in the job description of an apostle, you have can-do miracles and wonders. How about that on your CV? That would be incredible, isn't it? But that is true. You remember the times that Martin Dunsford has come to us. He's often told us about miracles that he's seen and experienced on his journeys. Although apostles are listed first here, this is not a hierarchy of ministry gifts. Apostles are not necessarily more mature or gifted than an evangelist, for example. It's simply a different gifting. But apostles are key in planting churches. You're not promoted um, to um, an apostle from a pastor because you've built a big church. No, it's an office that God calls people specifically to, 
and are recognised. Actually, recognition by the local church of all these ministry gifts is key. And I'll come back to this a little bit later. So then apostles are chosen by God. They're ambassadors of the gospel. They're sent by churches. They lay foundations in people's hearts for the gospel. And they have a role in planting and overseeing churches. Secondly then, apostles. Uh, secondly, prophets. Prophets, as you know, um, if you've listened to teaching on prophecy, encourage, exhort and comfort the church by hearing the voice of God and speaking that word to the church. It's not a thus saith the Lord type word as it was in the Old Testament, but it doesn't mean that prophets always bring a comforting, nice word. Sometimes the prophetic can be direct and bring correction, and sometimes it's challenging. But this helps us to grow. We need sharp prophetic input as churches. All prophecy must be brought in love from the prophet for the people that he is prophesying or she is prophesying to. As you'll remember in 1 Corinthians 13, the importance of love. Do you know, I remember a word last year that I think was probably the most powerful word brought to this church in recent months, and it was only two words. Chris Joyce brought it. They were very direct and challenging, and it came with tears. Those two words were, wake up. Wake up. But there was a heavy anointing upon them. Did you hear those words? Not just with your ears, but did you hear them with your heart? Did you respond? Because part of honouring prophecy is responding to prophecy. If God speaks, oh, we don't want to just say, oh, that was a nice word, thank you, God, do we? We want to respond when he speaks to us. We are called to be doers as well as hearers. Prophets are wired a bit differently. They can be a bit weird, actually. They can feel, they can feel and sense things sometimes in their spirit extremely deeply and may not be able to verbalise it too well because prophets are wired slightly differently. For instance, it's not logical, is it, to walk around a city of Jericho for six days it's not logical to smear mud on the eyes of a blind man or tell a woman stranger about her five previous husbands. At this point, I think it would be really useful to look at um, a concept which is called little p and big p, or little profit and big profit, or lowercase or uppercase. This, just bear with me, this helps us to understand the difference between the ministry gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet. For example, we know that we can all prophesy. This is little p and is the ministry gift of prophecy. But big P is when the church recognises and the individual themselves recognise that they are a prophet, they're, they're called to be a prophet. Therefore, big P is holding the office of a prophet. Little p is being used in the ministry gift of prophecy. So in the New Testament, we have both offices and ministries of apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But this is not about title or a badge to wear. You don't wear a badge 
evangelist or whatever. And it's not a promotion. It is an office and a calling of God. And one gift is not better than another, but it's a recognition of the calling of Jesus upon the life of a believer. Paul tells us clearly to desire and pursue spiritual gifts, but the five ministry gifts are different. We're not to strive in them. We're not to be jealous of another person's gift or office, but be content with the gifts that Jesus has given you. Jesus talked about, didn't he, if you have one talent to use it, and that's the principle. Whatever we've been given, we use for the common good. For an example, I'm going to pick on Sai here. Sai is a pastor. He has the ministry gift of pastoring, but he also has the office of pastor. I'm not talking about where he uses his laptop, but he has the office of pastor. We have recognised that in him and called him to that office. This applies to all the gifts that Jesus has given to the church. Going back to apostles there is the office of apostle, but there's also um, the ministry of apostleship. If you've been on a mission trip, you have in some way been apostolic. You've gone as an ambassador, one who has been sent, laying foundations for the gospel. You may have been painting a wall or a fence, but you've been apostolic in doing that. And this is so often why on mission trips we see healings and miracles because they are apostolic signs of the kingdom. Likewise, you may have the gift of pastoring in the church, such as a life group leader, but you also have that gift in your daily work. You can be a pastor in the community too. Again, picking on the Fry family, Anna Fry has a pastoring gift in this church but she also pastors the sick. That's what nurses do. They pastor the sick. They help them get better. Same ministry used in the church, but also in the community. All of us have at least one or more of the five ministry gifts. We have more than we realise, I think. And the Holy Spirit apportions these gifts and the measure of them as he chooses. So be secure and content in your gifting. God has gifted you in a way for his purposes that are special for your life, and you can mature in those gifts. So whizzing on now to evangelists. Evangelists love talking about Jesus all the time, wherever they go and whoever they are with. They love pointing people to Jesus and leading people to Jesus. It has nothing to do with being an extrovert or your personality type. It's the calling of an evangelist. If you've helped on an Alpha course, you probably have the heart of an evangelist, the gift of evangelism. If you love going out on the streets to talk about Jesus, you definitely have the ministry gift of evangelism. I'm sure, though, some of us here have the heart of evangelists and don't really recognise it. We desperately need more evangelists in the church. I think we need more evangelists in this church. Part of the office of the evangelist, the big E evangelist, if you like, is to stimulate and encourage and grow others in the gift of evangelism. Pastors then. Most churches are pastor-led. 
I'm stereotyping here, but pastors want everyone to be happy. They want everyone to be healthy, having their hearts healed, growing in faith, being discipled, getting on with each other. They love to be mo- they're motivated by unity and family and community. Most pastors have teaching gifts, and all pastors should have healing gifts and administration gifts as well. But their core gift is pastoring. Churches are pastoral communities, but we're also sending communities, taking the gospel further afield. Pastors who lead churches who have an evangelistic gifting well is a tremendous mix, but there's all sorts of combinations of pastors. You can have prophetic pastors. Steve Brading, who's known to many of you, he is an example of a prophetic pastor. So you can have pastors that are teaching pastors, apostolic pastors, whatever combination. It depends on how the Spirit has gifted them and their calling in their life. So lastly, teachers. This gift enables the church to be built up and equipped in the truth of Scripture and happens in different ways and in different contexts within the community. Preaching has an element of teaching, but sadly you'll have forgotten about 80% by the time you've had your lunch, apparently, of what I've said. But preaching has an element of teaching in it. But we learn in other settings too, don't we? Such as life group and courses such as Freedom in Christ. Yes, book on it. Alpha courses, kids' work, youth, and less formal settings such as our new discipleship groups. Teachers impart truth, not only to the head, but more importantly, to the heart. Jesus was always speaking to the heart. All teaching has the aim of understanding the truth about the kingdom of God and who we are. Knowing scripture protects us from old and new doctrine errors which come round with familiarity from time to time within churches. It protects us from that. Teaching increases our knowledge, releases faith and vision, as well as being correcting. So anointing big T teaching, if you like, is essential for our growth and maturity. It keeps us on track. This week, I spent a little time uh, looking at the life of Peter. And I just want to draw some things out about Peter's life, just to illustrate um, these five ministry gifts. Peter was called and chosen to be one of the first 12 apostles. We see this outworking particularly in the book of Acts and in the letters that he wrote, but also on the mission trips that he did and his encounter with the the lame man at the temple. As an aside, in Judaism, the disciples would choose their teacher. So if you wanted to be discipled by somebody, you would choose your teacher and go and attach yourself to them. Jesus turned that on his head and he chose his disciples. You are chosen by Jesus. We put great emphasis on we don't on the fact that we choose Jesus. You know, we make the decision to follow Jesus, but actually, Jesus has chosen us to be His disciples. Jesus commissioned His disciples and gave them authority in the spiritual realm. You read this in the early 
parts of the Gospels, to preach and to heal the sick and to drive out demons. In fact, this was Peter's first practical assignment, along with the other disciples, of course. You know, we can have the mindset and think that, you know, when I'm mature in Christ, when I'm a mature disciple, then I'll preach the kingdom, I'll speak about Jesus, I'll go out and try and heal the sick, I'll drive out demons. No. For Peter, it was number one lesson. In Jesus' discipleship manual, the first thing is proclaim the kingdom. (laughs) Proclaim the kingdom. Heal the sick. Drive out demons. It's the first lesson in maturity. You don't get to it when you're a bit older. It's the number one lesson. Peter also had prophetic revelation. There's a number of examples of this. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think I am? Peter said, you are the Christ. And that came from prophetic revelation to him. Peter had prophetic insight on the day of Pentecost, making the connection between Joel's prophecy and what was happening at Pentecost. We see it also with the transfiguration and Peter's incredible vision as he saw that sheet coming out of heaven with animals in it. All instances of where he was involved in the prophetic. Peter was a fisherman by trade. Jesus chose him and said, you will be a fisher of men. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like the call of an evangelist, doesn't it? Peter matured over the next three years. And what happened on the day of Pentecost? Peter stood up and preached one of the most powerful evangelistic sermons ever with 3,000 being added to the church. Peter was, not probably, was probably not educated, certainly not to our standards, but he matured as a disciple and God used him in so many ways. Following Jesus, you see, is the key. It's not about academic qualifications. Don't think of it at all like that. Though I'm not against any academic qualifications and young people... If you want to do Bible college before you go out on your career, then you go to Bible college. But it is about being with Jesus that matures us. Remember Peter having breakfast on the beach with Jesus. I mentioned this in my last preach in December. When Peter was restored and commissioned, Jesus said, feed my sheep. That was Peter's call to pastoral ministry. Peter also was a teacher. Um, We see that in the letters that we have written uh, with his name. Peter's often remembered for his failings, isn't he? You know, he suffered with foot-in-mouth syndrome. Obviously, put his foot in it occasionally. He denied Jesus. He was lousy at prayer on one occasion. He deserted Jesus at the crucifixion, and yet none of his failures stopped him maturing. None of your failures will stop you maturing. He grew in every season as he walked with Jesus. I just want to talk about a couple of other things uh, before I finish. And then one of those is recognising receiving all the ministry gifts. That's from verse 12 that we read. To mature and be equipped and grow, I believe we must recognise and receive these Ephesians 4 ministry gifts, firstly in our leaders. Recognise those who have gifts and receive from these gifts. 
but also recognize that you have ministry gifts too. Even if you're doing practical things around the church or in the community, you have ministry gifts to give to others. We receive from ministry gifts, but we also give of these ministry gifts. Now, I'm going to be a little bit provocative here. We recognize pastors and teachers quite easily. We employ them, and they usually lead churches. However, when it comes to evangelists and prophets in the local church, do we recognize them in the same way? I think we should be praying and recognizing evangelists and prophets within the local church much more than we are. They're not just to be received as visiting speakers. When we recognize those who carry these ministries, let's honor them with the office if that is what God has called them to. It seems we're a little bit more comfortable in recognizing ministries of evangelism and uh, the prophetic outside the local church than we are within the church. Healthy leadership teams will always have fivefold ministries present within them because they bring creative tensions. I remember a situation where uh, a church employed an evangelist, and boy, did he stir things up. There were lots of tensions, because he was saying, come on, let's go out and get the lost. Let's be preaching the gospel on the streets. And the pastor was saying, oh, we need to grow the church a little bit more. We need to do this and that, you know. There's a creative tension there within all those ministry gifts, and we need those creative tensions to push us forward. In this church, we do honour the prophetic, and we have pastors and teachers aplenty. We have loads of life group leaders who are all pastors. We have a pastoral team. We have youth leaders and elders who are all pastors. Now, I'm being deliberately provocative here, but what about us having a few fiery evangelists here as well? Amen? Thank you for agreeing with me. (laughs) Right, to sum up, maturing, I believe, is really growing more like Jesus. Verse 15, growing in every way more and more like Jesus. Jesus, of course, is our apostle. In fact, Jesus is the perfection of all these ministry gifts. Jesus is the apostle. He is the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Not only capital letters, but bold and underlined as well. Growing as disciples, then, is to mature and become more like Jesus. That is the key. It's not about self-improvement programs. It's not about us performing better. It's not about getting better as being Mr. Christian, you know, ticking the boxes of whatever is on your list of things. It's not about these things, no. You know, we began our journey in grace, the undeserved favour of God, and we continue in grace. He will keep us from falling. We have received the righteousness of Christ and continue to grow in the righteousness of Christ as we mature. In maturing as disciples of Jesus, we will walk ever closer with him. Go where he goes. We will love as he loves. We will say what he says We will do what he does. Church, I believe to be more mature, 
we need to stare at Jesus a bit more. Staring is not culturally appropriate in this country, is it? But it's okay to stare at Jesus. It's not about our efforts, but about gazing upon him, allowing him to look deep into our hearts as well, beholding his beauty, looking into his face as he brings us, his sons and daughters, to glory. And it's all through the cross of Jesus, the empty cross of Jesus and his resurrection, through which his love, his grace, his righteousness, his life has been poured into ours. We mature in the same way as we began, walking with him, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So let's stare more at Jesus and he will mature us. Amen. Can I invite the worship team uh, to come up? I just want to um, just share one picture with you before uh, we sing our last song. In my garden, I've got a a tree, an apple tree. It's uh, not very big, it's only about this tall, but it's maturing nicely. It what, what, is, uh, ap- what do apple trees or fruit trees need to mature? Well, they need good soil. They need compost. They need rain. They need sun. They need to be pruned and shaped occasionally. This little apple tree of mine lives through um, every season, all that comes against it. At the moment, my little apple tree's resting because it's winter, but a few weeks' time it will be blossoming and hopefully have some fruit that I can harvest a bit later. Only two apples last year, but never mind. Trees receive all they need from the environment. You know, gazing upon Jesus, feeding on him, being nourished in his love, being pruned and shaped by him, living through every season and storm with him. That's what matures us. Through grace we will grow and mature and be brought sons and daughters to glory. We're going to sing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. This is a really old song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. But you know, this isn't a worship song. This isn't even a prayer. It's actually a a declaration of intent. And I want to encourage you this this week particularly, while you still remember this sermon, this week particularly, to gaze upon Jesus, to intentionally turn your eyes upon Jesus. Can we do that? Let's stand and let's sing this uh, song together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face.